The sermon this morning is from the Song of Solomon. Or some of your Bibles may call it the Song of Songs. Now, it's interesting that we spent um, time in Proverbs. We spent several months in Proverbs. So we have spent, as a church, quite a bit of time in the section of the Bible called Wisdom Literature. Uh, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon. So last year we finished Advent with Ecclesiastes, so we'll pick up this year these next four weeks of Advent at the Song of Solomon. Um, But it's interesting also the way it's put in the Scriptures, that you have Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, so you have Proverbs and Ecclesiastes that that reflect most likely uh, the thinking of King Solomon. And, And so he is prominent for sure in Proverbs, Many people think that he was also the writer of Ecclesiastes. And, and so if you take all of that together, all of that wisdom literature together, it is a wonderful tool. It is a guide for living. It is a guide for work, for relationships, um, for government, uh, for so many things. Uh, but it's also interesting as you read it, uh, if you go back and you read First Kings and you read about Saul, I mean about Solomon and his reign, You find, what we've said for the last few months, that it's not just enough to know everything. It's not just enough to have the wisdom presented to you, right? And any parent knows this when they tell their child, what were you thinking? Didn't we talk about this? Don't you know better? And you know when you're saying that as a parent that you're actually saying it to yourself as well. You're absolutely saying, don't I know better? What was I thinking? Uh, why do I act out of accord with what I know? And so when we read this Song of Songs, when we read this most excellent song, we think about Solomon, and, and this context is, <clears throat> I want you to think of it as a musical, as a musical love story. Um, Solomon wrote over a thousand songs, we read in First Kings, over a thousand songs. And this one is his best. It says, this is the most excellent one. That's what the title, Song of Songs. It's like King of Kings, Game of Games, right? It is the most excellent. Of all that Solomon wrote, this seems to be what what they thought in the time was the best, the most amazing. And yet we know some things about Solomon, don't we? We know that it closes in his life, and it says when he grew old, Solomon's heart was led astray. It says, for Solomon loved many foreign women. And supposedly, whether it's a round number or not, he had 700 concubines and 300 wives. So when you know that and you read this, you wonder, who is he writing about? Was this his one true love? Was this the first love? Was this the last love? Well, we're not sure, and and scholars and critics will argue, some of them argue that it couldn't have been Solomon, because that guy never loved anybody like the writer here loves this woman. So what do we make of this? Well, think about where we've been so far. In Proverbs, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom. We ended by saying, Charm is deceitful. Beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. We come to this song of Solomon, a love song, 
uh, it, it's done in about four different scenes. And I don't know if this has happened. Maybe you could ask David if you know if anybody has put this to music. But it, it's very musical. In fact, there's 50 words in Song of Solomon that are nowhere else in the Hebrew Bible. And so he, he, he had to search for the right word, for the right meaning, for the rhyme, for the cadence. Uh, we lose a lot of it, of course, when we translate it into English. Um, but it's a love song about King Solomon and this shepherdess, uh, this Shulamite. And again, even with that, there's interesting thoughts. Was the Shulamite just a woman from Shulam, an area, or... In Hebrew, it's really interesting. You can have uh, masculine, feminine names. And so the name can have just the same three consonants. And then how you point the vowels makes it masculine or feminine. So uh, Shulam or Shulamite is the feminine version of Solomon. So uh, as he's saying, this was the most wise of women. And this is the female version of what that would look like. Solomon's name meant peace. And so we have the feminine version of peace. So uh, some people say this is just an allegory. Uh, and some people say, no, no, it's an, actual, it's an actual story of Solomon and this shepherdess that he loved. Um, but what do we do with it? Well, we understand that, that it, it most likely is true. It's most likely a true account of him meeting someone. And, and the, you know, the first scene, the first act, if you want to write this down, it's fine. Uh, chapters 1. Uh, to chapter 3-5 is this whole idea of courtship, falling in love, the fostering of love, uh, the excitement of it. My heart leaps when I see her or him. Um, the, the, the famous verse from that first section, 2-4, uh, he brought me to his banqueting house and his banner over me was love. Anybody remember singing that song in Sunday school as a little kid? He brought me to his banqueting table, his banner over me is love, right? Remember that? Some of you good Baptists remember that? His banner over me is love, right? Brenda, would you like to sing it for us this morning? No, she would not. Okay. Uh, but, but that verse, what a beautiful picture. Um, and so as, as an allegory, and, and it should stand also as an allegory. Why do we know it should stand as an allegory? Because all throughout Scripture, be it Hosea, uh, be it through all the New Testament writings, we are called His bride, His church. And, and so we have to remember that everything God created... Right? You know me, I love, to, I love to look at nature and creation and talk about everything that God created is to give Him glory. So the fact that God creates male, female, that God creates us with these desires, one for another, with this indwelt need to be loved and accepted and sung over, comes out allegorically here. So everything that we find here, as we read this, should reflect the way we feel about our Savior King, pursuing us. And it answers, in a sense, that, that deep desire that we, we constantly are finding we're frustrating, it's unmet, because no man, no woman, no job, no win can, can keep fulfilling that. So uh, that first section, one to three, <clears throat> is falling in love. The middle of three to five is this uniting in love, and, and there it is enacted out a wedding ceremony. And so the text that I used this morning, when it says, who's coming over the hill, who's coming? Um, it, it, it's almost verbatim to the wedding ceremony that we find. So he, he finds the girl, 
They woo each other. They get married in Act 2. In Act 3, verses 5, uh, chapter 5-2 to 7-10, uh, they go through a struggle, a frustration. If you've read Song of Solomon, it's that part where she says, I, I rose and I couldn't find my beloved. And I went out at night and I got beaten up <laughs> looking for my beloved. Where is he? Uh, there's this sense of a feeling of an abandonment. Where we're reading this morning is the last section. So the last section of this song, the last section of this musical. And it, for me, it's the most powerful, it's the most beautiful. And it reminds me so much of just this personal relationship that you have with God. That you might run. That you might, uh, you might have a season where uh, all he's all you can think about. God is all you care about. You're ready to just throw everything at Him. Give Him whatever He asks. Turn over your life. Confess any sin. Give Him all. And then as time goes by, there are seasons when you're like, I'm going to wander away. I'm tired. I'm frustrated. He's not answering in the way I thought. It's not, it's not turning out the way I thought. And we wander away. So I love this section because this section is the, is the bringing back. The bribing brought back. Uh, to him. So there's three main speakers uh, in, the, in the song. Um, there's the bride, the Shulamite. Uh, there is the king, Solomon. Um, and then there is the chorus, the daughters of Jerusalem. So if you had time this week to read over it and you're trying to make sense of it, uh, I can send you that structure. It really helps me to think about it in these four different acts. So falling in love, uniting in love, the wedding ceremony with all the pomp and circumstance, uh, the struggling and the frustrations of love, and then the faithfulness of love at the end. Um, I want you just, even before I read the text, to think about those four scenes and to think personally about your relationship with God Almighty. Are you still in that courtship relationship? I'm not sure that I want to entrust my life to him. Life is so short. There's so many things I want to do. Um, is he the one? Is he not the one? Is she the one? Is she not the one? Is that your relationship with God? Are you still waiting in some sense for him to prove himself in courtship? Is it that second phase uh, that you're in that, that, that fulfillment of love? We have finally joined. I've come to know him. Uh, it's that exciting, that those moments when we are obnoxious as Christians. You know, when we, we start preaching to everyone. I found this all the time when folks would come kind of from other, other kind of Christian traditions and come to Reformed theology. And it was as if the Bible opened up to them and, and they became obnoxious to all their neighbors and their friends and their relatives. And Thanksgiving was terrible. Nobody wanted to invite them. Uh, because John Calvin was awesome and they just wanted to point everything out. Maybe that's you. Uh, or are you in the struggling? I made a profession of faith. I've been baptized. I've taken from the Lord's table time and time again. I've taught things. I've prayed. I've given. I've... But you know what? I, 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 I feel myself wandering. Or are you being called in that last phase to the faithfulness of love. Well, here is our text in the middle of that last act, maybe for me the most powerful verses in the whole book. Song of Solomon, chapter 8, verses 5 to 7. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Who is that coming up from the wilderness, leaning on her beloved? Under the apple tree I awakened you, there your mother was in labor with you. There she who bore you was in labor. 
set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm, for love is strong as death. Jealousy is fierce as the grave. Its flashes are flashes of fire, the very flame of the Lord. Many waters cannot quench love, neither can floods drown it. If a man offered for love all the wealth of his house, he would be utterly despised. The grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our God will stand forever. You may be seated. I put as the sermon in the sentence this morning that Advent confirms or proves our hope for a love above all others is not foolish. This desire that we have a love above all others. Uh, Advent, Christ coming and doing what he did is God's proof that this love that we desire, uh, it's not a foolish desire that we have. We have this desire. That desire is fed by all kinds of things, but it's innate. We're born with it. It's fed by romance novels. My girl was younger growing up. I said, uh, be careful what you read. No poor man is going to be able to compete with that. <laughs> no one is going to do that for you. No one is going to be that for you. Pornography, novels, love songs. Uh, we want a love that lasts. Uh, not just lasts, but grows deeper over time. We want to be this woman. Maybe you saw the commercials, if you guys were watching football at all, about that older couple. And uh, they had, it was, a, a, I think, maybe a, for um, oh, some gadget. I don't know if it was the uh, Alexa or not. I think it was Alexa. Alexa, play our favorite song. You know, and it started with this couple, these little kids, maybe, maybe middle school dance. And then it showed them elderly, right? And it's like, play our favorite song. It's the same song. You see this older couple dancing. And you're like, oh, I'm going to buy one of those things. <laughs> It'll make my wife love me till we're really, really old. It'll make us special, right? Why, why are they even using that, right? They're, they're, they're pulling on our heartstrings saying, oh, isn't, wouldn't this be a wonderful thing for you if that was still your favorite song, still with your favorite person? And she still make your heart leap. We have that longing. Love, lust, we're told God's love is not enough. We're told marriage won't last. Love won't last. Um, but God's love for us is made richer through time. It's made better and stronger through trial. And it's sustained through trial. And it gets deeper and it changes us. So I want to just look at these three verses this morning. We'll start with verse 5 and the idea of this longing for love. It starts out with, who is this? And it is the bride coming, the bride returning. The bride returning and, and it says she is leaning on her Beloved, what a beautiful picture we have. And I want you to think of the beloved here as Christ for us. From her wandering, from his wandering, from our wandering, being returned, brought back in to the presence of this great celebration. She is leaning 
on her beloved. She's drawing security and stability from her husband because of the relationship. Because of the relationship, because the trials had been sustained, because he pursued her, because he was unchanging, because he loved her in spite of all of this, she is able to draw security, stability. And it talks about this tree, this family tree, under the apple tree, I awakened you. Uh, the apple tree, there weren't a lot of them in the ancient Near East. They probably would have used, if it was just something similar, you know, there's all kinds, there's date palms, there's all other kinds of trees. The apple tree represented at that time a life and progeny. So, you know how we have a family tree? But it also was gnarled. It had, it was, it was complex. But it's interesting because the woman here is the one speaking. So get this, the woman is the one speaking and the woman is the one making the demands. Again, we have said that the, the scriptures we, we hold the scriptures over culture. We, we interpret our culture through the scriptures. We don't just think everything in culture is bad or the way the scriptures were written uh, has, in a sense, frozen culture to this time because this is countercultural, especially for a king. The servant girl is saying, I found you. And she finds him under this tree. It's a tree where he was born, where his mother uh, gave birth. Again, it, this is all metaphorical. But it says, then I, when I found you, I awakened you. Well, awaken is a PG-13 version. I aroused you. Very provocative, Song of Solomon. And I know those of you who knew it wondered, what passage is Mark going to use? <laughs> What's he going to read? I've got a 12-year-old boy. Uh, he shouldn't be reading this book yet. Uh, but she says, I, I, I aroused you. And there's one of those words. It appears like five, six different times in Solomon. It appears Hebrew is able to do things with different voices. So at times this arousal is just an awaken, but it is an, an awakening um, that, that provokes to fury, provokes to action, like you arouse a snake. And again, all through here, the, 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 the strength and passion of love uh, is so vivid in this book, maybe more than any other. I found you. I uh, aroused you. I provoked you. I was going to title the sermon, Woke Love. <laughs> because it is, in some sense, uh, the bride is saying, now, as I've come back to you, as I've been brought back to you, my love has been reawoken. I, 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 I see more of the depth of this love that you have for me that I have for you. My brother Paul had this dog named Sugar. I hated Sugar with every ounce of my being. Uh, there's only one dog I hated more, and that was the one you know. You know that one. We've talked about him enough. I hope he's still suffering. No, just kidding. Uh, Sugar was the most annoying dog. Sugar would have to get up in your face and lick your nose. And she wouldn't rest when you came to visit until she stuck her tongue up your nose. Right? It wasn't enough just to scratch her and say, good dog, good dog, that's good, get back. No, no, no. Sugar needed some of that nose candy. I have no idea. But once that was satisfied, sugar was done. She had this need. You came in, you're like, oh boy, where's Sugar? Where's Could you put her in a crate? Could you hide her? And she'd sit there, crate just looking, longing, whimpering, screaming for you until you let her in, and, and, and then it was all right. There is a desire in us to be loved that is stronger than that. 
It really is. We, we are, it is inbred in us. As I said in the pastoral prayer, when we get hungry, it betrays that we are of a kind, we are of a type, we are of a species that is satisfied by eating food. Right? We get thirsty, we don't think something's wrong, we drink. We are of a kind that means love. That's how we are made. We want to be recognized, we want to be known, we want to be special and valued by someone. That's, that's the image of God that he put into human beings at creation. We have a longing for it. You walk into a room, you walk into a situation leaning on Jesus for security and support. He gives us that as his people. Rest in me. You are more loved by me than you could ever dare imagine. I know you. What did Psalm 33 say? He, the one in heaven that looks down, he doesn't just see what we do. He knows what's going on in our mind and our heart. And he loves us. Do you walk into a room? Do you live every situation with security and support leaning upon the bridegroom of Jesus? The longing for love. Verse 6, the power of love. So it's interesting. He, um, he says several things here. She says several things here. Uh, verse 6, set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm. This is the woman making a demand of the king. In the, in the previous, uh, uh, the, the, previous the, the marriage ceremony, it's as if he is uh, uh, around her neck, um, and now she is saying, set a seal for me on your heart. The seal um, in, in ancient Near East culture would, would represent three things, ownership. She's saying, I want to own your heart. It belongs to me. Put a seal on your heart for me. Now, it sounds pretty amazing, but not if you've been married, right? I mean, isn't that part of what you're saying? I, I, I want a love from this person. I want to commit to this person. I want them to commit to me in a way that surpasses all other commitments. And it's right for me to long for that. She is saying... Solomon, put a seal on your heart for me. I'm to own that. Now again, think how wonderful it is that God says uh, that we are his bride. Right? He says it all over. And when I do a wedding, I always tell people this is the closest thing that the scriptures give us to understanding his love for us. It's the closest thing. And, and it's, that's the picture of eternity, isn't it? The bride in all of her glory is being presented to the Father, spotless and pure. Here she is saying, uh, set that seal upon me. An exclusive heart of affection, love, and care. Secondly, it, a seal of security. Uh, security, a seal that would protect against thieves. Treasury had a seal with the king on it. Remember, Jesus' tomb was sealed. The Romans said, make it secure and put a seal on it. Some scrolls that would have private messages would have a seal put on it so that no one would read it. So she is saying, uh, I, I, I own your heart. It is, it's to be mine. Uh, I am to be secure in that. Now, now, Christianity offers a security that is above every other religion. 
Right? Our, our security isn't based on how good a Christian we are. Our security is based on how wonderful our Savior is. We're constantly told to look to Him, trust in Him. Uh, thirdly, that seal is a seal of authenticity. Uh, sealing as a deed or a signature. This is authentic. The high priest wore a breastplate, and on that breastplate was inscribed, Holy to the Lord. The power of love that our God has for us is that we are sealed on His heart. Christ's church has ownership of His heart, the very heart of our God. The power of love gives strength. I love the way it's written here. For love is strong as death. Uh, it's saying that this power of love, the only thing that he can think of that's as strong as the power of love, as undeniable as the power of love, as overwhelming as the power of love, is death. You can't fight it. It's going to happen. You can try your best to thwart it, push it back, avoid it. But love has a power that is that significant. Um, uh, the, the emotion, the power, the passion of death is as strong as the passion, the emotion of love. And so uh, three times in this song, uh, the chorus of the daughters of Jerusalem, they say this, I adjure you that you not stir up or awaken or arouse, and arouse love until it pleases. So that's actually the verse right before our text. Because of this power of love, right? It, three times. Don't awaken it. Don't arouse it until you're ready. Hold back your hearts because love is strong. Love of God sends forth His Son. The third thing, power of love is, is depicted here in that same verse 6, is jealousy. So you've had the positive side, but you also have, in a sense, this negative side. And again, it's all this warning. Be careful. Jealousy is fierce as the grave. Its flashes are flashes of fire, the very flame of the Lord. Those who have admitted this fire into their lives will find it impossible to douse. A husband is to be jealous for the love of his wife as she is to be jealous for him. In marriage and our union with Christ, we understand this. God is jealous for the love of His people. Because He loves us, He is jealous for our love. Because He loves us, He knows it is foolish and haphazard and dangerous for the people of God to seal their hearts to anyone but Him. Lastly, in verse 7, He talks about the value of love. Many waters cannot quench love, neither can floods drown it. If a man offered for love all the wealth of his house, he would be utterly despised. Though there are warnings against love, Solomon and the scriptures promote love. Love, this kind of love, it's an exquisite, soul-consuming experience that us humans yearn for, and to have this kind of passion for another person is a gift. What they're saying is it can't be bought. This value of love, it is unquenchable. God's love will not run out 
towards us. Think about that for a moment. We cannot quench the Father's love for his people. It's undrownable, he says. Uh, Many waters, floods can't drown it. And it is priceless. The people may pay money for certain favors. Someone might even marry for money. This type of love cannot be bought. It says if a man was to try it, that he would be utterly despised. Our God longs for his people. And he woos us back to himself with the power of his love. The longing that we have to be loved is to be met in Christ. And so I encourage you over this Advent season. This morning was the, um, uh, the focus is hope. Hope in the Lord. There's every reason for us to put our hope in him. For this is the type of love he offers us as his people. Though you wander, though you stray, my love for you is jealous. Take comfort in this, not that you love him more than anything, but that he loves you and seals you to himself. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the picture of love that you have given us, this song of songs, this dramatic portrayal of a relationship. You are working as, as us with a church and you are working with us as individuals. Winning our hearts, securing our hearts, even externally showing that with this bread and wine, with baptism, the sealing away by the Holy Spirit that these people belong to me, that they are mine. And I will love them with a faithful love, an unquenchable love, a steadfast love. And even when my bride wanders, that she is too precious to let go on her own, I will woo her back. I will bring her back. My banner over her will be love. Father, we thank you for these truths. We thank you that this alone is the answer to the longing in our heart. We pray that we would not think too little of this. We pray we would rest not on how much we love you, but on how much you loved us. We ask these things in Jesus' name for his sake. Amen.